What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. song i even played it and then i played the old one today i'm really tired today um <laughs> you'll probably also uh notice that i probably spelled a few things wrong in the um description of the show it's been one of those days um but without further ado let me introduce the panel that will keep me going tonight's episode uh starting off with the canceler herself tia what's going on tia <laughs> I like that. The canceler. That is officially my new nickname. That's beautiful. And um, to prove how tired you actually were, you did even start off the show with a welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah. I'm. Listen, I am horrible this episode. You guys are going to definitely care. I can't even talk. Um, <laughs> this is what, what tonight's going to bring. Um, but yes, yes. Thea, also, by the way, when they bring back the Punisher and you team with John Bernthal, that could be like your superhero name, the canceler, where he's like, oh, my God, like, I bought I bought a flight ticket. Like, what are we going to do now? And you're like, don't worry, the canceler's on the job. And, like, you cancel the <laughs> ticket, you get this money back. It'll be great. It'll be great. Um, don't worry, I'm writing your character up for when they uh, bring back the show. Um, all right. <laughs> I'm starting to wake up here a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there, guys. Uh, <laughs> welcoming back to the show. I feel like she hasn't been on in forever. There's two people I can say that about. Um, but welcoming back, Brittany. What's going on, Brittany? I'm great. I'm not driving all over the world this week, and so I'm happy to be back with the greatest group of people, except for Tia. No, I'm just joking, Tia. You're so the best. <laughs> the canceler. <laughs> the can- yes, I'm sorry. The I'm sorry. The canceler. The canceler. Tia, you got to get that trademark. Put it on coffee mugs, you know what I'm saying? Everything. Like, don't let anyone take that name. I um, <laughs> No, we're definitely glad to have Brittany back. Uh, it's been a while. It's been a while. So I definitely can't wait to hear Brittany's take on uh, these topics. Let me not say these topics. The topic tonight. Uh, all right, let me introduce everyone before I completely make a mess of myself. Uh, <laughs> welcoming back. Also, it's been a while. Pal, what's going on, pal? Oh, I miss this. Yeah, I'm happy to be back and, yeah, ready to get all fired up about tonight's topic. Absolutely. We are definitely glad to have you back. And now I feel bad because, like, I gave Tia a really cool nickname and, like, I didn't have one for everybody. And she's I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to work on it. Um, and the guy who tries his best to steal Joel's gimmick of the most unenthused introduction. <laughs> but he's getting better. Dom, what's going on, Dom? 
I'm good, man. I had the the day off from work today, so I'm uh, feeling pretty good. All right. I'm just saying, Dom, once you started getting more enthusiastic, I noticed the one show I had Joel on. He was very enthusiastic. So I don't know if he's <laughs> trying to put you out of business. I don't know what's going on here with you guys' rivalry, but I like it. Keep it up. Uh, all right. Let's get right into it, guys. We are talking, like I said at the top of the show, revivals and whether they are good or bad. Um, we have numerous uh, movies and TV shows to pull from that could support it being good, that could support it being bad. But you guys didn't tune in to just hear me talk for two hours. Let me pass it on and start with Tia. Tia, I want to kind of ask you a double-sided question here. Your thoughts on revivals? And you know whether or not they're good or bad for Hollywood, and whichever side you choose, good or bad, do you have an example um, for either side uh, as far as like a show or a movie that you thought was vital for revivals, or a show or a movie that was very detrimental to the idea of wanting any more revivals? Well, first of all, I want to say that while you were talking, I thought that. Dom's nickname could be the interviewer. I know that's probably not the most innovative, but he's been killing it with his interviews on the red carpets and shit, so I think he's more than deserved the interviewer. But um See, so I like I, you that, know, but then I felt bad that if I gave him the interviewer and his pal and Brittany a nickname, I'd feel really bad. So I'm like, I just leave it at Tia and it would just go unmentioned <laughs> that Dom is now the interviewer. <laughs> Um, so you are now the interviewer, and I have to think of something for everyone else. But uh, we definitely now have. Um, see, I didn't. I already forgot your nickname that I gave you. This is already forgot. <laughs> there we go. You canceled my memory. That's what happened. You snapped and it disappeared. Um, no, I say. Go ahead, Tia. Go ahead, Tia. I'm sorry. Well, we'll come up with another one for Kyle later, Brittany doesn't deserve one, but anyway. Whoa. Um, <laughs> Whoa. I'm sorry. Love you. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm almost going to take the side of revivals not being a good thing. And that, to me, is very strange because obviously, it, and I'm going to go with more TV shows is what I'm thinking of. Because obviously, if your show is canceled, like Daredevil or The Punisher, obviously, I want that to come back. I don't care how many years it is. If two, three years, Hulu finally says, listen, we're bringing it back Daredevil, we're bringing back the Punisher, and everyone's reprising their roles, I'll be like, oh, man, I'm on board for this. But And Pal can back me up uh, when it's her turn because we had a really kind of great discussion, me, her, and everyone in our, like, Slack chat, but... And this is the prime example and why I really kind of thought about this. I'm going to use the example of Veronica Mars. So Veronica Mars ran for three seasons back in the early 2000s, was canceled unexpectedly, and it had years in between. It had one movie back in 2014, and then recently, um, as of San Diego Comic-Con, Hulu dropped a fourth season. And it's now been all these years later. It picks up, not picks up, I'm sorry. Um, it's pretty much showing you what's been happening throughout those years. I mean, it's been like at least 15 years, blah, blah, blah. And everyone was so excited. I mean, like, I wasn't even always a Veronica Mars fan. I didn't watch it back in the day. I, I'm 
recently having watched it, but people were massive fans. It was like almost a cult thing. That movie that I mentioned that came out in 2014, fans um, pretty much paid for it from a Kickstarter. So that just goes to show like how big of a fan base this show actually had. And then the fourth season came out, and I'm not going to spoil it, I guess, for anyone who hasn't watched it, but it had an insanely um, bad ending and almost one that just really rocked fans. It shocked me as well. And then the reasoning behind the ending from the creator and even the star of the show, Kristen Bell, looked to upset people even more. And people at that point, from what I was seeing, were like, I'm not even a fan of this show anymore. And if it had never had its revival, people just would have lived in that happy little bubble of enjoying the show. The same thing goes for Roseanne. I loved Roseanne when it first, not when it first came out. I was probably super young at that point, but I watched repeats. I loved the show, loved Roseanne Barr, wisecracking, you know, her and John Goodman. Everything about that show was amazing. So when they said they were bringing it back, I was super excited. And not only was it just completely different than the original show, but then obviously Roseanne had to make a bit of an ass out of herself, which then caught her essentially chilled off from the show, and then they are moving forward with the Connors, and to me it just doesn't even seem worth it, but it almost like tarnished the uh, the show Roseanne. I can't even go back really and watch the original seasons because of that. So to me it's like, you know, and there are examples of revivals being good, like Will and Grace. I really like that they revived that show. I think that they picked up really well from it, but it's almost to the point where if a show that you loved was canceled and that sucked, but it could be worse and we've seen it worse. So I'm almost, I'm going to take the stance of revivals being a bad thing when it comes to TV shows. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. Um, because I think whenever you revive a show that's been off air for years, you're dependent on cult following. Um, and if that cult following is big enough, no matter what you do, they'll just be fans of it. Um, you know, I, I've never watched Veronica Mars. I don't really have any interest in, in starting. So I have no horse in that race. Um, so I'll definitely take <clears throat> your word for it, Tia. But to me, it just all depends on execution. Like, I think sometimes what happens is revivals should only happen if you can get back literally everyone who was part of the success of the first run. Um, changing even one writer could be what makes the difference. Um, and, again, like I said, I have no idea the situation of Veronica Mars, but Will and Grace felt like the same Will and Grace. It didn't feel different. Right. Um, and, and that's Go ahead. No, no, I, I was going to agree with you because I was, am a huge fan of Will and Grace and the original run of the series. I was very disappointed with how the original series ended. So when they revived it and they kind of completely redacted the end of the original series, I was like, this is great, this is fine. And it just felt like you were watching the same show. And, um, you know, the, it's 
uh, ending after three new seasons, right? And I think that's fine. They did what they needed to do. They accomplished what they needed to do. They put out three extra seasons. It was great. And now they can end it in a much better way. Right. Um, like, for example, I wouldn't want them to revive Fresh Prince, Martin, because both shows lost a very vital cast member um, right. in Tommy and then in Uncle Phil. So, like, it, no matter what you do, that show will not feel the same because it does not have one of the, the driving forces of both of those shows. So, like, even though they've been talking a lot about reviving Martin, it just won't feel the same. Um, and I think that will be to its detriment. So that is where the risk comes in, because if you do bring it back and it falls on its face, uh, it might, like you said, it might change a few people's opinion on going back and watching those old shows because it might be such a sour taste in their mouth. Um, so it's a very tricky thing to do. It, it's also sometimes a very unnecessary thing to do. Um, but to me, as someone who loves to, to write, if you ever feel as though there's stuff you left on the table, um, like the way Fresh Prince ended, th- there's absolutely no need to bring that show back. None. It, it ended perfectly. Leave it exactly the way that it, that it left off at. Um, I think the last episode was literally Will leaving, um, you know, Bel Air, or, or them selling the house. Sorry, they, they sold the house. Um, so, I mean, that was beautiful. Seeing Will Smith stand in the middle of that living room by himself, um, it was very iconic um, to the ending of that show. So, like, don't touch that. Like, don't don't revive it. Don't, don't do it with his son. Like, don't do anything with it. Um, but, Brittany, I'm going to pass it over to you. What are your thoughts on revivals? Um, and do you have an example, TV or movie-wise, um, to kind of back up whichever side you, you kind of decide to go on? I always get 50-50 with it, but on this one, I'm going to go with it being a good thing because and I'm, where I'm going to use an example for it is Transformers. I love Transformers. Tia knows how much I love Transformers. That's actually how we became friends. I own every DVD set. I just, I'm just i obsessed with Transformers. I used to own all the comics that I could get my hands on. So when the first Transformers movies came out, I was like, oh, this is going to be so awesome. This is the best thing over ever. I remember freaking out watching it, at, like the first one. And as it went on, you know, they got worse and worse. And the first one wasn't even particularly good, but it was the nostalgia of like, oh, my gosh, the first live-action movie, it's the best thing ever. And it just got awful. Well, you know, we had Bumblebee come out. And I thought, no, you know, don't try to revive this. It's already like, you know, a tra- it's a big trash fire. It's a dumpster fire. So whenever it came on and the Transformers looked like their G1 counterparts, like the 80s, and, you know, it was more believable. You know, they put the focus on the Transformers, but they kind of balanced out the human aspect of it. And and I know it's supposed to be a prequel, but you could definitely tell it had the different director, and it felt like so fresh. And I was like, this is what I had wanted as a kid. This was exactly what I needed. You know, you even have a strong female lead in it. You know, she didn't have to stay with the Transformers. Like it was just, 
great for me, and I can look back on that one fondly. And I have another friend that loved Transformers that she looks at the old movies and goes, oh, my God, why did we ever even watch those? This is awful. And I keep begging her. I'm like, you have to see Bumblebee. It will change your entire, you know, outlook. So for me, I love the revival of it because it gave me everything I had ever wanted from the Transformer movies. And they, you know, Michael Bay was just like explosions, romance. And it's like, ah, I just want giant robots. <laughs> so getting to look back at Bumblebee and getting exactly what I wanted and can look back on it fondly and remember how much I loved Transformers growing up, for me, I thought it was a great idea. I think they went the direction they could have went. So, yeah, I'm going to go with it was a good choice for them to revive it. Yeah, well, you'll get no argument out of me. I mean, the revival could have been horrible, and I still would have preferred it over uh, what Michael Bay did. Um, oh, I mean, that'll never be an argument with me. I, I despise um, what Michael Bay has done with not only Transformers, but he found a way to ruin Ninja Turtles for me also. Um, so, I mean, to me, whatever you did was going to be significantly better um, than the idea of, Michael Bay's movies are more of, like, you You ever, like, picture what it's like for, like, younger boys to play with action figures? Like, I feel like any time, like, a girl thinks of, like, boys playing with action figures, they think, like, we just smash them together. Uh, like, we don't do anything creative. We're just, like, smashing them together. That essentially is what Transformers was. It essentially was just <laughs> a visual mess. Um, and I will admit, I, I did like the first two, maybe even three, I could go as far as to say. Um, and then it just became like, all right, he doesn't even know what he did in the last movie. Um, I hated that. I hated the idea that it was the same five Autobots, and magically there were like 90 million Decepticons. Um, and the biggest issue I had was the focus was not the Transformers. It was the humans. In the cartoons, the focus were the Transformers. They just so happened to have humans. Um, and it just it, it, it lost me. Um, and I think the biggest thing I hated was every trailer I used to say, man, this is, like, beautiful. And I see the movie, and I'm like, you won't get me next time. And then he gets me the next time, and I'm like, oh, God, I hate Michael Bay. Um, so, I mean, a fresh take was, was needed. And I'm glad that they didn't completely reboot the world. Essentially, it seemed like it was the same voice as, as Optimus. Um, I mean, that was great. That was great. I mean, I wouldn't even be against if they decided to do another Transformers movie down the road. I wouldn't be against if Shia came back, um, you know, to portray Sam Witwicky, um, you know, just because it's in a, it's in new hands. So, I mean, you would hope the new hands can do a better job. Um, but if and he's a better the- actor now. Say, if he comes he's back as a bearded, gruff, muscle daddy, I'll be fine with it. <laughs> yeah, that would be hilarious. For- He's transformed, um, so he, he should come back. Funny thing is, I thought he was the best thing about the uh, the earlier movies. I, I I always thought he was a good actor. I enjoyed him. Um, he did Lawless around the time of his his last, his last um, Transformers. I, I always thought he was a really, really, really good um, actor. I just thought they didn't really know how to write humans, so it made me even more angry at the idea that your focus was the humans, and they're the most boring things here. Um, so I thought he gave a, gave a lot of life to a script that probably realistically wasn't all that great. Um, so Bumblebee was a great step in, in the right direction. I hope that we could get a movie that's just 
on Cybertron. Um, and we could just see the history of the Transformers. We could see how the war starts. We could see what happens to the planet after, obviously, Optimus sent Bumblebee um, to Earth. I just want to see more of those things because that's the mythology. That's the history of the Transformers, and you're calling it Transformers. So I want to see more about them. Um, so that's a great example, Brittany, because Bumblebee definitely kind of eased a lot of the people that might have been like, you can't, no one's going to be able to do Transformers justice. And then Travis Knight comes out and he nailed it. So, I mean, I I do think the movie was very cheesy. Um, But again, I told you, even if I hated the movie, it just would have been better than what Michael Bay did. Um, So, I mean, huge props to uh, Travis Knight for reviving something that essentially a lot of people were okay dropping a rose on because um, we were okay with Transformers dying after Michael Bay. and you just No one touch it ever again. Um, so <laughs> thank you, Travis Knight. Um, but all right. Uh, pal, I'm going to go to you next. Um, your thoughts on Revival and any example you have, good or bad, to, uh, I don't want to say back up, but to kind of support um, your stance. Well, I will be coming from uh, a movie standpoint just because I don't watch nearly as much TV as I do movies. And um, everybody brought up really great examples, both on the movie and TV side of things. Um, What I would like to focus on just a little bit, and only because, you know, they've just been dominating the box office lately, are the Disney revivals, the remakes that they've been putting out in theaters. Um, It's interesting because you would think that these are the kind of remakes or revivals that we didn't necessarily ask for. You know, why do we need to see Dumbo as a computer-generated creature? Like, like no one asked for that. You know, um, Aladdin and uh, and especially The Lion King. You know, The Lion King was uh, was definitely a polarizing film for a lot of people. Um, Some people loved it, and then some people really didn't like it. I ended up not liking it as much as other people because, you know, it was just one of those things that um, revivals, sometimes they cannot uh, live up to the – the, to its predecessor sometimes it just can't happen when especially when uh the expectations are really high and those expectations have been set by the original movie or the original tv show and i feel like that was the case for me personally when i was watching these remakes that disney has been putting out in theaters this year we still have one more left this year by the way um maleficent is still uh is due to come out later this year, and it's just crazy to think that there's just been there there like in one year alone we've had four um, or we are going to have four uh, revivals from Disney alone, and it's just like crazy to think that. For me, I I just wish that all that effort and all that creativity could be put into making new original ideas because you know the reason why uh, they are making these. Uh, revivals is because of how good the original movies were. It was unlike anything we've seen before. Uh, they did really well financially, but at the same time, they 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 just made a cultural impact. You know, they stay they stay with us and stick with us throughout all these years. And I kind of wish that we could have more of that now because you know now when you see the next generation of kids, you know, who are going to watch a movie, this is their first exposure to Disney movies, unlike what we had that were original ideas 
that were, you know, great movies, and um, and and now they're just going to see replicas of those original movies. And I just kind of wish that um, we we don't really put a lot of emphasis on these revivals. Another example I would like to uh, just mention really briefly are, um, you know, we've seen uh, other revivals from other studios, such as. Um, uh, Men in Black International, you know, that was a revival from the Men in Black franchise that we all know and love, but now we per, we probably don't love as much and, as much anymore just because of what Men in Black International has done. And then um, I'm not a big fan of the Fast and Furious franchise. I actually haven't seen anything except for Tokyo Drift, but, you know, Hobbs and Shaw came out recently, and that was also making a lot of bank in the box office, but purely because, you know, it's coming from a franchise that a lot of people love, and instead of being something that was directly a sequel from the the franchise, they just decided to do a complete reboot and introduce new characters that are similar to the plot that we we all know, but, you know, it's just a different take on it. So um, Men in Black International did not do so well at the box office. I, I watched it, and I – that was absolute garbage. I don't know why that needs it. Honestly, there was no point for it to be called Men in Black International. The only reason why it's called International is just because it happened to, uh, you know, it happened in, in different countries, but the, it, it had, they, they were trying to make that title, uh, you know, a, a big thing when it really had, it did not, did not add anything new to the plot of Men in Black. And so I thought it was pointless. I, I can't speak on Hobson Shaw, but like from the most part, looks like fans of the franchise do enjoy that movie. Um, but also from like just a technical standpoint, like I hear like it also wasn't like anything, uh, anything different or um, uh, anything that blew things out of the water compared to other movies in the Fast and Furious franchise. So again, it, I say all this to just uh, go back to what I said in the beginning. It, 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 these expectations are set because of the original movies that, or TV shows that occurred before these movies, or excuse me, these revivals. And so um, if they can set, uh, meet that expectation, great. But more often than not, I feel like it, it just doesn't really hit the expectations and then leaves me wondering why do we have this in the first place? Why does this need to exist? Well, let me respond to all three of your examples. I want to start with the one of the last ones that you said. Mm-hmm. Men in Black International. I remember I saw the trailer with Joel, and my expectations were this is just it's looking just to be uh, humorous, but I thought it looked sad just from the trailer. But <laughs> me being a Men in Black fan, I, I have not seen the movie. I really don't have any interest in, in doing so, but that movie would never taint um my love for the Men in Black franchise only because Men in Black 3 was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. So it's like this <laughs> couldn't possibly be any worse than how horrible that movie was. Um, right. But even if it is, uh, my idea is this franchise was dead long before they did Men in Black International. Um, so mm-hmm. my expectations for it wouldn't be as high because I didn't think they should have, I didn't think they should have done the third one let alone this one. So it's like, it's a toss-up for me. Like, if I watch it and I'm entertained by it, great. If not, I remember how horrible 3 was. So, like, my my feelings towards the franchise isn't any different. Um, I mean, if I can be, like, fully transparent, I, I, before Men in Black International, I can be honest, I don't think I've ever seen 
any of the sequels. In fact, I didn't even know that there was a third Men in Black movie. I think yeah. I, I'm faithful to the original movie. That is iconic. It's a staple of 90s cinema. I, I truly believe that. And so that's why I, I feel so strongly against Men in Black International because it just said nothing to add value to the franchise. And, uh, you know, again, I keep going back to the original movie. Nothing can top that. That's just uh, the performances, the stories, the aliens that we saw. It, it, like, it just, you know, even though it's an older movie, like, there's just a reason why it's, it's a classic and why it's so respected even till today um, and why International could never match up to that. Well, I mean, it's tough. It, it, it's tough. I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Let, let me stress that. I <laughs> personally feel the second one is better than the first one. I thought the I second heard, one I heard was, it was. Yeah. It was Will Smith in his comfort. He was in his pocket, um, mm-hmm. and, and he really shined. Tommy was even a thousand times better than he was in the first one. To me, I always look at movies of a franchise like that. Like, the first one is to set up the story. The second one is where you get, all, you know, more of the action. And you did get more of the action, more of the comedy. Um, the third one, making Tommy Lee Jones, Josh Brolin, but just younger, it was just really bad. And, and Will Smith, that was when he started his streak of just doing movies. He really shouldn't have done. Um, mm-hmm. That being the very first one. Uh, maybe between that and after, whichever one came out first. Those he should not have done. Um, and mm-hmm. then from there, he just made a string of bad decisions. Um, but to me, like I said, the third one was so god-awful <laughs> that International could do nothing to change my views on this franchise. I think it's a franchise mm-hmm. that went too deep. Like, that was it. They had two good movies. That was it. Um, as far as Fast and Furious, they didn't really reboot. They reinvented themselves, which I thought was smart. Because okay. a movie about a movie about racing can only go but so far, and Tokyo Drift essentially is what killed the franchise. That movie was god awful. Um, like the idea <laughs> of just drifting, I thought was like, all right, it's a bit creative, but like you got the worst actors to to play these roles. Um, and then I remember Fast and Furious. That was what they called the very next one. Um, it felt kind of similar to what the first movie felt like. Um, and then from there, you get Fast Five, and then that's when they completely reinvented themselves. Like someone walked in the boardroom and was like, hey, I know this movie franchise is about racing, but what if we get The Rock, pay no attention to racing, and just make it an action-adventure movie? And then everyone was like, oh, my God, you're a genius. Let's do it. We can maybe go 30 movies deep now. Um, and, and that's what happened. They reinvented themselves, which I don't – you don't usually see in franchises that they drastically change around from what the first movie uh, set it up to be about, um, but it's been in its best interest. And I know me and Dom are fans of Hobbs and Shaw. It was a really fun movie. Like, I don't really mm-hmm. have anything bad to say about it, um, because if you walk into it knowing that it's just going to be a fun action movie, um, then it, you enjoy it as such. And I think it's smart for them to figure out a way to, because sooner or later, people are going to go, you got to stop doing Fast and Furious movies. Like, they're bad. Um, so how do you make sure you extend your life maybe another five, ten years? You branch off. And I think yeah. from Hobbs and Shaw, they introduced two new characters that you could branch off again with. 
Um, so to me, it's kind of just like if you can change yourself and make yourself more entertaining, um, because albeit when they came back to do Fast and Furious, it wasn't horrible, wasn't bad, wasn't really good either. Um, it just felt like the first one. So if you liked the first one, I think you were good with that. If you didn't, <laughs> then you weren't. Um, so I don't think it drastically swung the pendulum either way. It wasn't until Fast Five that a lot of people that, you know, maybe had been watching until then were like, this is what you needed, or people were like, this is horrible, you should not do it anymore. Um, so, I mean, they have a story to where it could definitely expand itself um, 80 different, eighty more different ways. But I think what they're doing now is with, you know, branching off with Hobbs and Shaw was smart. Um, I mean, you couldn't keep having The Rock and Jason Statham in those Fast and Furious movies while you're introducing new characters. Someone was going to lose screen time. So the best way to keep everyone happy is give them their own movie, um, which I do want to say rarely do I ever feel that way, uh, pal. Rarely do I ever feel like, right. man, they don't really have enough screen time. Give them their own movie. I very rarely feel that way. Um, mm-hmm. But for this, it worked. And to to the last part of, of what you were saying, with the Disney remake, the only reason I do not have any issue with them doing um, revivals of them is because I truly feel as though the only way for newer generations to truly appreciate the art of what we grew up on is to see it in, you know, in a new way. So you weren't yeah, going to remake it. You weren't going to remake the animated movie because it just wouldn't feel genuine. So the only way to right. do it is to bring in a new feel to it, something that hasn't been done, which is live action, and give this newer generation all new voices um, that they're used to. Because if you ask a kid now, like, hey, you know Matthew Broderick? Who? You know Jeremy Irons? Who? <laughs> like, James O. Jo- Who? Um, so you bring in <laughs> Beyonce, you bring in um, Donald Glover, you bring in Seth Rogen, you bring in those guys that this generation probably knows, um, and now it's something that feels special to them. So then when, you know, they have their kids, you know, maybe something else will, maybe they'll do another animated movie. Um, and that's something that could be passed down to them. Now, to be fair to you, pal, because, again, this is not me um, disagreeing with you whatsoever. I have not seen Lion King. I have not seen Beauty and the Beast. I have not seen Maleficent. I have not seen Dumbo. I think Aladdin is really the only one that I have seen. And I did enjoy it. I, I enjoyed it mainly because um, they fixed Jasmine. I think Jasmine was very one-dimensional in the animated mm-hmm. movie. Um, and they gave her they gave her more in this live action movie. Um, now again, this is not me saying it was a great movie or anything like that. I just enjoyed it. Like I walked out of it like, huh? I didn't hate it. You know, like just really shocked that I did not hate that movie. Um, so to me, it, it's just. Do I think it's necessary? No, I I, I absolutely don't. Just like. I don't think you have to revive Godfather um, just because oh, you gosh. know it's a moneymaker, you know? But to <laughs> me, if, like, I, we, we had this discussion before about reboots. If you tell me that Martin Scorsese is teaming up with Leo to do a reimagination of Scarface, I don't think any of us are disagreeing with that, right? Like, we're all looking at right. it like, yeah, it, it, it's probably going to work. It's only, it's only when we see it that we then assess it as it either didn't work or it did work. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I think the biggest thing about revivals is the execution. I mean, because, of right. course, we could look at trailers, maybe form an opinion from that, but it's not until we're in it. Like, we're in that theater watching that full movie to where we then go, you should have left it alone. Or, this is really good. Um, I told you guys before, I'm not that high on <laughs> on um, Al Pacino's Scarface. So if Leo wanted to do it, I'd be the first one saying, yes, please, because I was not sold on that three-hour-long movie. That was just annoying. Um, so to me, I personally want, um, you know, if they did want to still do it because it was being talked about, I'm all I'm all game for it. Like that that's something that to me would work. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we we've seen it to where it does not work. You've given great examples. I didn't hear anything good about Dumbo. Um, I didn't really hear anything good about Beauty and the Beast besides the fact that it was the guy from um, Legion. Um, so I mean, yeah. I can't I can't really disagree with you, pal on your stance on, on remaking these Disney movies, all I can say is the one that I did see, I did not hate as much as I thought I would, and that was Aladdin. I really, truly did um, have a fun time with it. Um, I thought it was it was fun. Did it take liberties? It probably shouldn't have. Yes. But when you get a director like that, he rides the fence a lot, more times coming out on the wrong side than, than the good one. Um, but to me, I, I, I left it the same way I left Venom to where I was just like, it is a sequel. I wouldn't really be against it. I didn't hate the first one. Um, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic about what they could do going forward. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't want to move on before you have a, a, a chance to respond to what I was saying, if you wanted to, because I felt like I dropped a lot on you. So if you wanted to respond to anything, um, please, uh, you're more than welcome to. No, you made you made really good points, and I, I especially like your perspective. You know, uh, you want to make a movie that is relevant to today's culture, to today's generation. So I totally get what you were saying about, um, you know, uh, casting people like Donald Glover and Beyonce to be the, um, you know, the main the main actors in the, the new Lion King movie. That totally makes sense. Like I, yeah, I don't, I see where you're coming from with that. Um, and you, you, like I said, you you brought up some really good points. I really don't want to take too much uh, too much time from everybody else, but um, I I think that this is like a good um, uh, you know I agree with you. I still think that um, you know as much as you agree with uh, or how much you like Aladdin, I personally didn't like it as much as you're uh, as much as you're saying, but. That's just a different conversation. I feel like maybe uh, if they had chosen a different director, it could have been a different kind of movie, but I'm not going to talk about that because it just makes me really upset. But um, <laughs> I think that um, you, you did, you, um, I think the, the thing is, like, we do want to keep it um, fresh on people's minds. And even though we know who were in the cast of these movies and TV shows that we all know and love, uh, today's kids probably wouldn't care as much unless you have a familiar face on it. So um, I, I do appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. I mean, I, I just kind of feel like kids would go back and watch something like Flubber um, and not really be oh gosh, all that yeah. enthused by it. Um, but we loved it. We loved what Robin Williams did with that same way. Like how you feel about Lion King is how I felt um, about 
Jumanji. Like, I did not. And I still (laughs) refuse to see any of these new Jumanji movies, Um, even if it's the idea of it being a a reimagination of it or whatever the case may be. Um, I'm surprised we didn't bring that one up yet. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, to me, it was just one of those things to where it was just like, and see, I'm going to go to you in in one second. Um, I just, I, I don't, I did not like what they were doing with it. And, you know, that's on me only because this new generation loved it. It made it a hit. Um, it's probably going to make the second one a hit. So, I mean, that's just, that's, that's on me. I, I think that, you know, as to, that's just a me problem. But I will never feel comfortable about watching those movies um, and knowing that it's in the same mindset. Even in the same name, it's such a beautiful um, original movie and an amazing uh, job Robin Williams did with that first movie. Yeah. Like I just I yeah. I'll, I'll never watch them. And everyone tells me how crazy I am. It's fine. I'll, I'll take it. But I will never watch these new Jumanji movies. I have not. I will not. I will go back to that Robin Williams a billion times before I ever watch these new ones. But um, T, I'm sorry. You were you were trying to jump in. I apologize. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's okay. I'm sorry. Um. Really quick, though, absolutely agree with what you said about Jumanji. I will never, ever see the new ones. Um, Jumanji is not an an action, uh, you know, movie, an excuse pretty much for you to make a blockbuster popcorn flick, okay? It was so much more than that. Stop this shit. Like, you could have just made a different type of movie with a similar concept. I mean, it happens all the time. You did not need to call it Jumanji. But what I wanted to say was I, for the most part, agree with what Tao was saying with the Disney movies. I personally actually really enjoyed Lion King, but I wanted to mention Maleficent was really good. And I liked that it was a different take because it wasn't called Sleeping Beauty. It wasn't primarily focused on the tale of Sleeping Beauty. It was a retelling, a reimagination of a character that you most likely just thought was one-sided but you were given more of the fleshed-out reason as to why she was how she was, and it was a, more of an adult theme than anything else. Yeah, and I, I do want to stress this. Wow, I'm, I'm scrolling through my, my channels, and the original Jumanji is on Nickelodeon. But I did want to stress, um, I by no means am saying that the movies are bad. I have not seen them. I am just saying I have no interest in seeing them. Because um, I come off super negative, so like I don't want to down the movie because um, I have not seen it, so that's not fair. But I can say, <laughs> um, with full transparency, I have no interest in seeing any of these newer Jumanji films, and I can almost guarantee you I never will. But I do want to stress that I'm not saying that they're bad movies. I have not seen them. Um, and as far as Maleficent, um, it's funny that you say that, Tia, because I remember asking, I was asking someone, maybe it was my sister, I didn't know what the first one was about. Like, I, I, I don't think I've ever watched uh, Sleeping Beauty. I had no idea what it was about. It was just like Angelina Jolie looks really sick in this movie. Um, <laughs> that was like, that was all I remember thinking. And I just really didn't have any interest in, in seeing it, but I did not know it was about Sleeping Beauty. I had no idea. Um, excuse me. 
Um, I mean, it's funny because Snow White and the Huntsman, like, obviously Snow White's in it, but I, I never felt like that was, was about Snow White. Um, like, I had to go rewatch the animated movie just to go, oh, that's what they were trying to do. Like, didn't feel <laughs> like it. It was weird. Um, but, I mean, look, I, I am a believer in each generation should have something that feels special to them. And I think it's a little bit, I don't want to say selfish, but it is a little bit selfish on our part because our generation had, like, a lot of really good movies, especially animated-wise, um, that maybe a younger crowd just couldn't really vibe with. So I kind of feel like it's great if we can kind of reimagine it in a way that they could kind of maybe follow it. And maybe after they see the live action, they then go, well, I want to see the animated, see, you know, see how different it is or whatever. And then maybe that's how they become a fan of the animated movie. But I kind of just feel like it's forward pushing if we always have something that can define each generation. Now, I will not disagree with you, pal, on the idea of just make more original movies. Right, like Moana was really good. Um, it was uh, oh, I can't remember the the last one that they did that won an Oscar. Um, the, the name is, is escaping me. But Disney has done a lot of um, you know, fresh stories that have been really, really, really good. Um, and I think we will see up in live action. I think we will see um, Pinocchio. Like I think we will see all these characters come into live action. Whether it's good is to be determined, but if you can have something that can define a new – best example I can give you, and then I'm going to pass it to you, Dom, is we all grew up on Rugrats, right? I think everyone in, in on this panel grew up with Rugrats. It's a fair assumption, right? Everyone, we all watch Rugrats? Yeah. Oh, definitely. All right. Of all right. course. How I frustrating. I like Rugrats, but – Whoa, whoa, we just lost Tia. I'm sorry. What? What did you say? <laughs> What were those words you just uttered, Tia? That I'm really I, freaking out about? I dislike Rugrats. Oh, no. I'm, I'm losing consciousness. Wow. I, I think I'm yeah. passing out. I don't oh, want to no. come to New York and podcast. see you now. Oh, no. All right. So tonight is the last night Tia will be on any Geek Vibes <laughs> Nation shows. Uh, she is fired. Um, no, the the point I was trying to make about bringing up Rugrats was um, our generation was defined by them being babies. That very next generation, you guys remember what show they had, right? All grown up. And I remember watching that like, no, 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 no. Like, Tia, that was the first time, like, remember how strongly I feel about Stranger Things stopping really soon because the kids are getting way too old yeah. and they're not adorable anymore? Rugrats was the first ones to do it. Like, once they gave me all grown up, I'm like, wait, you do know we only like this because they were babies that could talk and no one could understand them, right? I don't want a world where they're grown and we all understand them. Like, that's no fun. Um, Tommy using a screwdriver to get out of the cage. Like, I loved all that. Then you do all grown up. Like, I was disgusted. But that newer generation I was coming up, they liked it. Like, it, it had a pretty pretty nice run. I think it was two, three, maybe four seasons of it. Three, I think, was, was the, um, the height of it. But my point being, that newer generation had something they could call theirs, and it was all grown up. I still think it was the stupidest idea they could have done, but it doesn't really take away from what I feel about Rugrats. I just know I would never watch all grown up, like, ever. 
<laughs> it's a stupid idea then. It's a stupid idea now. Um, but the Rugrats are so special. T, I know this is just like visual noise to you because you didn't like the Rugrats. Uh, I, that's and I a actually, and I actually like the grown-up version. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. Oh my god! All right, Dom. Dom, <laughs> I, I, I'm passing to you, man. I, I can't with T anymore. Uh, <laughs> that take was so crazy, Tia. I might have to go join AJ and eat some some Hawaiian pizza. Like that's how insane that cake was just now <laughs> that you gave me. It makes me want to do something crazy. Uh, but Dom, uh, I want to go to you. Your thoughts on revivals and are there any examples of movies or TV shows that um you can kind of clump in with your opinion on uh, revivals? So I'm uh, similar to to Brittany. I'm kind of in the middle. Um, because what my thing is, like you were saying, it's about execution because you can only sell nostalgia for, for so long. You know, once they announce a show that is uh, being revived, we're like, oh, we get really excited. And after the first episode, if the show is not that great, then you're like, okay, this whole thing was pointless, um, kind of like uh, Fuller House. Now, I wasn't a super big fan of Full House as a kid, but I do remember it being on the TV screen a lot. And so, of course, I watched a, a vast majority of it. So then when Fuller House came, I wasn't, ex- you know, on Netflix, I wasn't excited about it, but I was kind of curious to see, like, you know, if I thought I enjoyed it more than I, if I enjoyed it more than I thought I did. And I watched the first episode, and I thought it was the corniest shit I'd ever seen in my life. So I was like, I'm I'm good. I'm not going to watch any more of this. I, I think I remember my mom called me, and she said she watched it and she liked it more power to her, I couldn't do it. Um, but I do know that, um, like, the Boondocks, um, on Adult Swim, you know, the last season uh, that they had was, like, 2014. It didn't have Aaron Magruder. So the show didn't do as well as the other seasons had done. And now they're, uh, you know, it was announced this year that they're going to do uh, a new one, a new season. And Magruder back at the helm, and um, it's, I think it's a much-needed type of um, animated series that, you know, we have things like Family Guy and American Dad that's, that kind of are pop culture and whatnot, but the Boondocks is kind of more, of, you know, the it's pop culture, but it's more of like hip-hop culture, and a lot of things that they've talked about have been, you know, they spoke it into existence, you know, with like um, uh, rappers dressing like females, and then and we had Young Thug wearing a dress on his album cover. Um, and, you know, and, so, and then the whole R. Kelly thing, they, they talked about it, and then the whole Surviving R. Kelly thing happened years later. So I feel like it's a very necessary cartoon. I feel like it's very, uh, like, much like The Simpsons, to where they kind of predict things that's going to happen without knowing that's going to happen. Um, but yeah, you can't you can't sell nostalgia and that just be it. I've seen like um, MacGyver, I've seen Hawaii Five O, and they sell they sell nostalgia for their first couple episodes, and then at the end of the day, it's just a cop show. And you know, when when it's on, you know, CBS, NBC, ABC, those type of shows are always going to have a multitude of seasons. Cop shows always last for a long time. Uh, whether or not they're that great, I don't know, because I didn't really 
pay attention to them too much. But I do remember watching the first couple episodes because I, I saw reruns as a kid, and then it, it's not the same. So, like, it's for me, the revivals are – if you can do it well, you know, do it. And But most of the time I feel like it's – more times than not, it's a miss. Um, and if you're going to revive something, you're going to have to flip it and give us something – slightly new like uh, Sabrina did. It's essentially a similar story, but now we have more of uh, what actual, what would actually possibly be like with them being, you know, worshiping Satan and they're dark and they're doing all this dark magic because witches are not out here being all bubbly and like the original series. So if you're going, if you're going to do it, you got to either flip it or make it into something else because nostalgia doesn't last forever. Yeah, <clears throat> with Boondocks, they have to be very careful. Boondocks started off very political, um, and that was what got a lot of people interested in the show was how political it was. It then became just very uh, comical. Um, I think the very first season where it started to become just overtly comical um, was around when Barack was elected. Um, and it was the episode about Barack being elected. That was when it stopped being um, just overtly political in the sense of um, very forward-thinking and the idea on um, uh, black people because uh, it was very political in that sense. Then it just became overtly comical. So now you're coming back, um, and you have to be careful um, because a lot of what worked for Boondocks in today's sensitive time just it, it might not fly. Like right. Dom, you being a fan of the Boondocks, and I'm not sure who else here is a fan of the Boondocks, but Riley says that's gay like at least 30 times. <laughs> like that's not gonna fly. It, it might not fly today. Like you might have that one person who watches it and feels very offended to start the hashtag. Now Boondocks is is, is in hot water. Um, right. So I mean, doing revivals for shows that work. Like I told you guys, stuff like The Office. Um, stuff like like a lot of the comedies from back then worked because we were not in a sensitive time. Um, like The Office had a whole episode about um, when they figured out Oscar was gay and they were trying to do like a uh, you know <laughs> figure out who else in the office is gay. Like stuff like that just wouldn't work today. One of the earlier episodes of The Office was when they gave each other races. Um, and oh, yeah. they had to give clues to what the race was. Like, that just wouldn't fly today. So, I mean, it, it, it's risky, but it all depends on the execution of it. Um, I just I, I get really nervous because of how sensitive today is. Um, like, Riley, to me, is only funny because he's super honest about his feelings. Like, if he thinks something's weird, he's going to tell you. Um, and I, I don't know how it works in today's world. So, I mean, I could be completely wrong, and, and I hope I am, because some of the best Boondocks episodes are some of the more offensive episodes. Um, so I would never want it to change its its core. But, I mean, a family guy can last this long, and South Park magically is still on television. I can only assume Boondocks <laughs> will feel right at home. Uh, amongst those two juggernauts, but like I said, it's it, it's very much a risk. Um, and, and I mean that that's the thing about revivals; it, it is a risk. I mean, I I know my aunt 
who grew up on stuff like MacGruber or MacGyver or whatever it's called. MacGyver, sorry. Um, MacGyver, I'm trying to think of all the other old shows. The one with Burt Reynolds that they redid and even changed yeah. his ethnicity. Um, like shows like that, they look at it and they go, why? Like, <laughs> why? That would never appeal to a younger generation because the younger, like my generation has no idea about those shows. Um, so it's like you doing the show now, the fact that both of these shows are still on air is staggering. <laughs> because I'm like, none of them look good, but you got to follow them. You got to follow them. Um, but I mean, you know, they, they do things to kind of keep up with the times and evidently doing a more modern version of both those shows work. So, I mean, congrats. But see, I did want to ask you if in, let's say, 20 years, right? Let's say five years from now, they cancel SVU, right? And in 20 years, they bring it back, but with only maybe one or two of the cast members that they had around the time they, they stopped the show. But they obviously had all new cast members. Could you rally behind that if, um, what's her name, Mariska? Am I saying her name wrong? Please, Olivia? Mariska. Mariska, okay. So if she if she didn't come back and it's a whole new cast, but it's obviously about the same thing, could you still rally around um, Law & Order? Yes, only because Law & Order SVU in itself is a spinoff. You had the original Law & Order um, show that ran for 20 seasons itself, actually, and mm-hmm. SVU... SVU didn't come around, I think, until the show was on, the original was on its like 10th or 15th season. So SVU is a spinoff. It's not the original, um, but it's just the one that lasted long enough. Like, okay, you have, and I'm a big Law and Order fan, so excuse me if I go on a little bit of a tangent. But you <laughs> had the you have the original uh, Law and Order, then SVU. Criminal Intent, which uh, Vincent D'Onofrio was one of the main characters in, that lasted about 10 seasons. And Law & Order actually had a few other spinoffs. You had Law & Order Trial by Jury, which lasted like 10 episodes, and L.A. that lasted about 20 episodes. So you had other spinoffs. Um, and I think you had like one other or something like that that I can't think of right now. Well, but I would uh, count... I would count Law and Order gave birth to um, Chicago PD. Uh, without well, Law and Order, creator. you don't have. Yeah, and, but I, and I it's the, the same fact creator. that they work together. Yeah, Dick yeah. Wolf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, and 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 it exists within the same universe because they've had crossovers before. So right. it's uh, listen, SVU is going to end at some point. It's going to suck. Um, but if anything, I'm impressed with Law & Order SVU's ability to have reinvented itself because when uh, Christopher Maloney left in after, uh, after season 12, I mean, I was convinced that's the end of SVU. You have yeah. Stabler and you have Benson. And I will admit the first season or two was Rocky, and you're going to laugh at me, their saving grace was bringing in a villain like William Lewis, Pablo Schreiber. It, like, just to me revived that whole thing. And then you brought in um, uh, Peter Scanavino, who plays Sonny Greasy. You brought in, uh, you know, a few other people who really kind of then jazzed it up again. But it, 
if anything, it reinvented itself, and I'm impressed with its ability because I stopped watching it for a few years. So now seeing that SVU can exist without one of the people who you thought was so vital to the story, if they ended SVU and, you know, years from now they want to bring back SVU, not just Law and Order, but the whole concept of the Special Victims Unit, I'd be fine with it as long as you have good actors and you have good stories. Yes, I mean, you have the same logic that I had about Fast and Furious to where it's like, you can reinvent yourself um, and make yourself more interesting, um, then by all means, like, try your best to do that. Um, and I feel as though they've they've done a good job with it. And then you were talking about the spinoff, Chicago PD, ultimately exists because of how well um, SVU was, because that was really the, the biggest one that was carrying the torch for, for the longest. Um, same thing, Fast and Furious, spun off, did Hobbs and Shaw, and that was a hit. Um, so to me, it, it, it all depends on the execution of it. Um, but back to your point, uh, Dom, it, it, it's it, it's going to be really tricky to, to see how they're able to do the boondocks. You bring back everybody that was a part of, you know, the last run. It should be fine. But one thing I want the boondocks to start doing is owning up to the idea, like, if you don't want to do multi-seasons at a time, tell us. Because it right. just feels like you disappear, and then you're looking to come yeah. back five, ten years later, and it's like, nah, man, like, <laughs> time's changed. Like, can you adapt to it? We'll see, but we're not going to keep doing this long hiatus with you and continue to support you. Now, I'm sitting here lying because this, this new season is good, and then they take another hiatus. I'm going <laughs> to be looking forward to it. Um, but it's just really annoying. Like, say, hey, we're coming back for one final season, or hey, we're going to do – five more seasons, but we're going to kind of spread it out. Um, you know, just kind of being more authentic with it. So, um, but I'm, listen, man, I'm really excited for Boondocks coming back. I just hope it's, it's authentic. I hope it's genuine. Um, and I hope it understands that it's a new sensitive age. So a lot of stuff you got away with before really probably can't, can, uh, get away with, uh, today. Yeah. So, I, I think uh, I know Magruder uh, was during, during like the first three the first three seasons. He was still doing his comic strip that where it started from because every I had signed up for it. So every uh, every day I'd get a comic strip, and then on Sunday it'd be in color. Um, I don't know if he still works on it. So, I, but since it was coming out in a paper, I would assume you know he's very much in touch with what's going on and never really remove himself too much, uh, just to keep him kinda of sharp. So I feel like he'll be able to work around it. The only I will I will miss that um Charlie Murphy won't be on there anymore though. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That that was a huge loss for so many reasons. Um, yeah. I had always felt like when I heard Chappelle was coming back, um like this is before Charlie passed away. I had always felt like you could revive the Chappelle show. Like you now have other avenues to do it that won't force him to box himself in like Comedy Central essentially was doing. And then when right. Charlie Murphy passed away, I was kind of just like, I don't know if I really want to see because they were saying Charlie Murphy wrote a lot of, yeah. um, uh, of you know the, I guess script is what you would call it for for a lot of the seasons. So it was like. 
that Charlie Murphy kicking Rick James in the chest, like through the glass mirror, <laughs> that, like that is iconic. Um, him giving a whole rundown of him playing Prince in basketball is iconic. So to me, I just I don't know how you do it without him and find a way to not not necessarily top it, but keep the same energy of it. Um, so just don't do it. <laughs> I'm not here to start a rumor. No one's been talking about bringing back the Chappelle show, but um, I would have loved to have seen it if Charlie Murphy was still alive. It definitely would have been something special to see again. But um, yeah, I mean, more power to Boondock, um, and I'm sure we'll definitely watch it <laughs> when it comes out. Um, all right, so I wanted to ask this question first to Pal. Um, you being a huge fan of film, um, not just movies, because I, and correct me if I'm wrong, Pal, I think a lot of people confuse that. I think a lot of people confuse movies with films. There is a difference. Um, in, yeah, in I agree with that. Nine times out of ten, the biggest difference is you'll never see someone call a film a popcorn flick. Um, because that's essentially mm-hmm. just what a movie is. A film is not that. A film is something you leave and you're kind of like, I'm going to watch the Oscars this year and this is going to be a part of it. Like, that's, that's a film. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, a movie essentially is Hobbs and Shaw. Like, that, that, that's a movie. That's a movie you don't leave going, man, I really thought this acting would be A+. plus. Like, no, no one thinks <laughs> that. Like, they leave it going, oh, it was a fun movie. Um, so my question to you is, with all these revivals, now with the, the mention of, Sony maybe trying to get Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, both who are both 90 years old each, um, to come back <laughs> and maybe do Men in Black. My question to you is, because I want to start with you first. Um, we had this conversation on the show before, but I, I want to have it again. And it's the death of originality. Now, the, mm-hmm. the reason I'm forming this question to you like this is because a lot of people feel as though there's nothing original anymore, Right. Um, and mm-hmm. I told you last time, I don't truly believe it. I just believe that we're not um, promoting the things that are original. Because every film Christopher Nolan has done, I've never seen a film like that. That's original. Yeah. Um, like, he's never done a movie that has, even his Batman movie, uh, which I see in those I incredibly dislike. Um, there's not been a Batman movie that's ever felt like that. Like, that's so real. Um, so everything Christopher Nolan does is forward-pushing and completely original. Um, so we do have originality. I don't think we promote it the same way we promote popcorn flicks or the same way we promote superhero movies or even revivals. So my question to you is, because um, you watch all these films. Like, I see you do your mm-hmm. reviews and everything, and I'm like, I didn't even know that was a movie. Like, okay, <laughs> like, I didn't know that was a movie. Um, so do you feel as though originality is dying or is it just being snuffed out by all the popcorn flicks and the box office hits? That's a very good question. And honestly, I know that I keep bashing on sequels and remakes as you know, all, all the time, but like, but to be honest, I don't think that originality is dead because as much as I like to, um, complain you know about these uh, of these revivals and stuff 
there are a ton of original movies that are out there right now that unfortunately a lot of people don't know about. You know, earlier this year, I can, you know, I can list out lots of examples with Booksmart and Longshot, Late Night, and currently right now, you know, we have movies like The Farewell um, that is, you know, these most of the examples I, I, I share, some of them are indie, some of them are not. But, um, you know, with The Farewell that's currently in theaters right now, it is an indie film that is distributed by um, A24, which is a very uh, – it, it's my favorite movie studios at the moment right now. Like, the work that they do is incredible. And, um, yeah, they're really it's, good. It's one, yeah, and it's like – I feel like the way that these studios approach these smaller movies that are not necessarily your typical blockbuster or your popcorn flick, like you mentioned, I, I, the thing is, I don't think that they have been able to crack the formula yet when it comes to marketing these movies. And it's, and I think a huge part of that is just because of the, um, the situation that we're currently in right now in 2019 with where more people are staying at home watching movies and TV shows with the streaming service that they have instead of going out to movie theaters and paying to watch a movie. Uh, like it's, it's, it's a pastime that isn't embraced as much anymore. And I think because of that, um, people will only go and watch a movie at a movie theater if it's a big blockbuster, like, you know, for example, Avengers Endgame or The Summer uh, with Hobbs and Shaw. Like, uh, people do not really have uh, – they don't justify the reason to go to a movie theater now unless it's just, like, a big movie that they feel like they have to watch it in theaters to avoid spoilers or they just want to be a part of the movement and they just want to, you know, watch it while it's still playing in theaters or because maybe the theater experience is the best way to watch a movie instead of on their TVs. And so for these smaller films that are actually original and not revivals and uh, or, or sequel or anything like that, I think that they end up struggling because of the fact that they're smaller. Maybe it's not a well-known director, you know, like you were, you, you were mentioning um, Christopher Nolan. He is, uh, you know, that's a household name by now, especially in the, in the film community. If you love movies, you know who that guy is. And so any movie that he is making, you're, you're probably going to watch it. Um, and so the thing is with these smaller films that, yes, they're original, but they are smaller, um, a lot of people will probably wait until they hit the red box or until they hit a streaming service like, like Netflix before they end up watching it because, I, I guess for them, uh, priorities are different. Like, obviously, my priorities are I would love to watch it as soon as it hits the theaters while other people don't really see it like that. And I think because of that, um, Hollywood listens and they observe and take in how the public is um, making their decisions when it comes to watching movies. And that is why they feel like they have to keep making these revivals and these reboots and sequels because they think that's what people will want to watch. That's what's going to get them out of their houses and watch these movies like um, like any Marvel superhero movie, any um, anything from the uh, Fast and Furious franchise. Like I think um, – or, or, you know, like they, uh, we all mentioned, or we're talking about Jumanji, which I totally agree with you. <laughs> Do want like I did not like the reboot whatsoever, and it ended up doing really successful because, again, you have you mentioned it. You have these big names like uh, uh, Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson starring in the movie, and of course, it's going to get people to want to watch it. 
Um, and so the thing is, they, I think, unfortunately, people, you know, and, and I, I feel like I'm also a pro, like, I'm kind of like uh, feeding into the problem as well because of the fact that I watch, I, I watch movies that are both smaller and the bigger blockbusters just because I love watching movies. And so, like, you know, a lot of people were saying that when The Lion King first came out and a lot of critics were not having it and they did not want to support this movie whatsoever, you know, there were a lot of people saying, you know, if you watch this movie, just know that you're you're part of the problem. You know, like, you are you are telling Disney that I want more films like this. And, you know, that really got me thinking because even though I – you know, I, I want to watch a movie just because I want to watch it. You know, it's part of the experience. But, like, yeah, the thing is, like, we really do have to sit back and think, you know, am I watching this movie? And, it, like, when I watch this movie, why is it? And what it, what kind of message am I giving to the studio? Like, it's going to – I'm probably calling them, hey, if you keep making movies like this, big summer blockbusters or uh, movies with Hollywood names in it and all that, like, um, they're going to keep making more of it. And that's where they're, all the money's going to go towards all the big names. And, you know, because of that, smaller movies with original ideas from, like, indie filmmakers, that they, they end up getting, they, they end up struggling. Uh, that's what happened with Booksmart, you know. Uh, Olivia Wilde directed it. It was her uh, directorial debut. She's a female director, which is, you know, a lot of great accomplishments. And it was a great movie. It's one of my top, I think I, I have it as my top three favorite movies at the moment. Um, but the thing is, they struggled with the marketing because I think they did a wide release right away instead of a limited release and just slowly spreading to more and more theaters. Um, and because of that, they, they suffered uh, financially. I mean, they still did really good at the box office. I mean, not as well as they had hoped, but um, that is why, you know, movies like The Farewell that are um, – it started off as a limited release, and then the word spread, and people started talking about the movie and how much they, uh, how how good of a movie it actually was. That that word that started to spread is what helped this movie become more and more popular, gain more and more popularity, it started spreading more and more movie theaters. And you know, like right now, um, it is a, uh, you know, it's it, it's a great movie, and a popular movie, and and th- playing in theaters right now. And I think it's because of that word that that was spreading and that's an original movie um unfortunately it won't be as well as you know a big blockbuster like avengers end game but um i think that it all comes down to just the way that you market this movie how you handle the strategy regarding like how you um play it in theaters because if you try to do it all in like the way booksmart did it, it, it could backfire on you and so i think I know that was like a lot that I just said, but like I think all <laughs> of those pieces definitely play an influence on how Hollywood can decide where they want to put their money. Do they want to put in these smaller movies or in these bigger movies? Because that's what's going to make people to want to go to the movie theaters. So yeah, <laughs> I know that's can I, yeah. Good. Can I add in uh, yeah. another factor in this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, prices. go for it. Yep. If you're yeah. someone, Absolutely. if you're someone who's making minimum wage and you're struggling to pay rent, you need to put food on the table. You're not going to spend every weekend sixteen dollars on one ticket. Um, depending on mm-hmm. what you're seeing, what time you're seeing, you got to buy snacks, you got to this, or if it's multiple people, yada yada yada. I remember when I was like eighteen years old, wherever I was working, some old lady came in. She's like, I feel bad for people, girls these days. You know, no guy can take them out on the dinner and the movie date. 
they could barely take you on a movie date because it's so it's so expensive. I can take barely take myself out. So it's like you know you're only going to go to the movie theaters for these big movies because it's worth the money. It's not saying that these right. little movies aren't worth it because I love independent films. Honestly, some of my favorite movies out there are independent films that most people probably haven't seen. Like, um, I haven't seen Peter, uh, the Peter Butter, well, Peanut Butter Falcon, but from our own Ryan, apparently it was amazing and it looked great. Yeah. But I'm going to wait for it to come here because I'm not going to spend the money on it. So I think that if, you know, studios are looking at it, if people are looking at what the factors is, you got to go to the money. The ticket prices are definitely, but of course, ticket prices are more expensive because it costs more to make these freaking movies. So I just wanted to throw that out really quick before um, you went, Joan. No, that's a good no. point for sure. Yeah, that, that's definitely a good point. But in, in, I, I spoke to a good friend of Geek Rod's Nation, Daniel Alter, um, one of the producers for the, the Hitman movie uh, that came out in like 2007. And the biggest thing me and him talked about was bridging the gap between a popcorn flick and um, a Oscar, uh, an Oscar grab movie. Because that's all Hollywood is today. You have either your popcorn flicks, which count as comedies now also, and then your Oscar grabs. That's literally how the studio is split in half. Nine times out of ten, a lot of these Oscar films are coming from um, smaller studios. They're not coming from these huge studios. Um, but a movie like Joker could bridge that gap in the sense of it's a, a comic book movie, but it does not feel like it in the sense of that movie could be nominated for Best Picture. It could be nominated for Best uh, best Lead Actor, um, Best Director. So to me, that could bridge the gap to where we could start having uh, these directors come in that are making these superhero movies more authentic in the sense of, it doesn't have to just feel like, um, and this is no knock to Marvel movies, but in a sense, Marvel movies I feel ultimately are popcorn flicks. Um, in the in the essence of you don't really get any realism from it. Um, Black Panther I think is the closest you can get, and that even didn't really feel real. Um, so to me, because uh, the stress of it is, and I tell you guys this all the time, I love marketing. I think it's very undervalued. I think when people talk movies, either tanking or succeeding, they don't pay attention to marketing. Um, it's very important. I, I want to remind people, marketing is what drove Deadpool. Deadpool was on an episode of The Bachelorette because it's smart. It marketed itself as a Valentine's Day movie to get women interested in it, only to get in there and go, this is not what, <laughs> what I thought it was but you end up having a really good time. So it knew it, it had the guys and the idea of the senseless violence of it. It was trying to find a way to, to kind of grab everyone. So it said, let me think out of the box. I'll make billboards that kind of make it seem like a romantic comedy. I'll do The Bachelorette. Um, so it feels like a romantic comedy. Marketing is important. And, and as you were saying, pal, I think a lot of these smaller um, movies, I think they don't have either the funding to fully uh, launch their, their marketing properly, and I think it does hurt them because I think if you're depending on word of mouth, you're not going to get very far um, because it has to be an overwhelming 
amount of word of mouth. Like my dad told me um, when Star Wars first came out, uh, like back in the day, the original, that movie was word of mouth. Like that movie didn't take the world by storm in, in its in its uh, first weekend. It was a thing of people going, yo, this is pretty dope. You should probably go see it. The most recent thing we've had of that that I can remember is Live, Die, Repeat with Tom Cruise. Like, that movie did not do well until the DVD came out. Why? Because, one, it had horrible marketing. Like, the the trailers for it gave you no inclination of what that movie was truly about. So a lot of people just didn't have interest. But that was one of Tom Cruise's better movies is that movie. Like, that movie was really well done. I didn't see it till it came out on DVD. Um, I know a lot of people uh, felt the same way. Um, so marketing to me is very important. And as far as ticket sales, I view ticket sales like this. I'm going to make a sports comparison. If you're a Knicks fan, right, you've been watching the Knicks for 20, 30 years. They've always been horrible, right? But if you ever watch on TV a Knicks game, Madison Square Garden is filled. Why? It's an experience. It's unlike anything you can get anywhere else. It, it is not the same feeling as sitting at home watching. So people are still going to go, even if they can't afford it, they'll find ways um, to go to a movie theater to experience it. So to me, they raise the ticket prices because you don't have an alternative. Really. Like a lot of people say, well, I'll just jailbreak my whatever and, and watch it at home. Sure, but you don't have that experience. You've seen the movie now but you didn't get an experience from it. Um, like if someone told me, hey, the new Godzilla, I was able to bootleg it at home. I would tell them, all right, cool. I understand you couldn't, you know, you could maybe afford to go see it, but by no means don't think you, you really enjoyed this movie. Being an IMAX and, and just experiencing that movie in there is a whole different feel. Um, but I had this conversation with Nick uh, last weekend. Disney Plus with it. Uh, bundling ESPN, Hulu, and, and, and um, Disney Plus. When it does that, it's going to raise the price from twelve ninety nine to about sixteen, seventeen, eighteen dollars. Why? Because once you get it, there is no other alternative. Like there's no one else that's offering ESPN where you can watch all your sports, Hulu where you could watch live shows or um, or past seasons of shows, and then the catalog that Disney Plus is offering you. So once you pay that twelve ninety nine, if in three years they up the price, you're not going to go, well, I'm not paying that. Yeah, you are. Why? Because you've now become used to it. You've now become kind of hooked to the idea of everything it offers you. Um, Netflix did the very exact same thing. So to me, ticket prices will never dwindle. Um, something that will soon have to start dwindling is the concession prices. And the only way you're going to get that to dwindle is if, the studios find a way to make tickets cheaper because the only reason concession is expensive is because the theaters don't get paid that box office money. Their money comes more from concessions. So, I mean, you're really going to have to figure out a way to kind of balance that if you're a movie theater. Um, if you want to extend your, your, um, your, your life, I mean, because at some point, and I don't pal, this is going to kill you, but at some point, these streaming services are going to smarten up and go, what if I just release, like, these movies on a streaming service? Like, you pay for it, and then now you have the ability to just watch the movie right now. Um, and when that day comes, you're going to find a lot of people 
and they're going to say, I have a really nice size TV, maybe a surround sound. I just watch it here. Like, it's a great, it's, it's in a, a legit copy. It's not bootleg. You don't have to worry about anything like that. Um, they're just going to want to do that more. And I think, pal. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, it's going to happen sooner rather than later. And if I learned mm-hmm. anything from my interview with, with Daniel, um, Disney could be the very first company to do it. Um, yeah. And I, I think Disney might release maybe an animated movie that way um, and kind of see what the, uh, the response is of it. I don't know how a stream would, would equate to a box office, um, but, I mean, if anyone can play with house money, it would be Disney. Um, so I mean, yeah, and, and with Disney Plus coming out, I know that I've heard that, you know, the way that they're going to release movies or um, TV shows, just depending on how they think it's going to be successful or not successful, is going to determine where they're going to release it, whether it's going to be in the movie theater or directly on their streaming service. So, yeah, they could very well be, like, the pioneers towards that change. And you're absolutely right. Like, as much as I hate to say it, I I think that's just where movies are going, movies and TV shows. I I just think that's the direction that we're going to now. And even though I'm not a big fan of it, it's just something that I don't think is, like, it's pretty much inevitable at this point. Movie theaters are going to become exactly what um, CDs essentially are now, Um, which is something no one uses. Um, Because technology... Like, the only reason people still kept buying CDs when, like, iPods came out was because they wanted the um, the credits. They wanted to see the artwork. They wanted the credits. You now can digitally get that. Like, I have Title. Title gives you all the credits. Um, and I'm sure if you want, you can go to the artist's Instagram and see the artwork there. Um, print it out, even if you want to, like, hang it on your wall or whatever. Like, it just it's easier now than it was 10, 15 years ago. Um, Brittany, I want to go to you next. I, I want to ask you the idea of it. Like, could you be comfortable with the idea of a, of, of a time where you could watch, let's say, Avengers 8 um, at home rather than going to a theater? Like, would you still be able to appreciate it, or are you a fan more of the experience of going to a theater, watching it with, with the whole crowd filled with fellow geeks, um, and kind of experience it. Because to me, there's nothing better than when the movie's over, like a, a superhero movie, and everyone's clapping. You know, like I get all excited, like I like I directed the movie or something, but it's the experience of knowing that they just enjoyed the same thing I enjoyed. Um, like I could walk out of the theater and just have random conversations with people about like what I think is going to happen next, stuff like that. Like, to you, Brittany, do you value the experience, or would you be more comfortable with the convenience of just being able to watch it at home? I think for for me, my experience might be a little different from y'all because I do live in a town of like ten thousand people, and the theaters do get packed, but people don't get as excitable. Like I hear y'all tell stories about all these things happening at the theater, but. You know, every now and then we'll get some clapping. Like, I did get people clapping at the Avengers movie. But uh, but for me, a lot of my greatest experiences have been watching movies at home or with friends. Or, like, when I go visit Tia, we I'll watch a movie for the first time with her. 
And I think for me, I just always grew up like, uh, I'm trying to think what the word for I feel like I don't have that deep-seated connection to just sitting in a theater and watching it. Because when I grew up, we didn't have very much, so we would just get, you know, movies to watch at home. So I grew up watching all those movies at home instead of going to the theater. So to me, I don't have that attachment to watching it on the big screen. Like, I do enjoy going to the movies, especially if I want to see something early. But for me, I... I could be just as happy to sit at home and we do have the big TV and the surround sound. So it's kind of like there's that experience, but also sometimes I'm not the greatest around crowds. So for me, I can enjoy a movie everywhere. I don't get very sentimental about where I watch it as long as I get to see it because a lot of my time is on the internet so much that I get to enjoy the memes and the enjoyment. And I do like getting discussed with people, but I also get that enjoyment from you guys and from, you know, when me and Tia have these talks. It's kind of like, for me, I will be okay either way if also the saving money aspect of it, too. As for it's like, I get people love going to theaters. Like, whenever I go to New York and we go to the Alamo, I'm like, this is a great experience. You can get food, and this is great. But for my personal experience with how the theaters are here and how I've grown up, I just wouldn't mind even watching at home. I'm like, oh, man, I don't have to fight the crowds now. Yeah, I mean, the convenience is going to be what wins. Like, that that's just, that's the law. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, convenience is just going to be what drives um, everything business-wise going forward. I mean, that's why Amazon was able to come onto the scene and just blow people away. It was the convenience. Like, when I found out that I, I could buy, like, groceries and just have it, like, drop to my house, I was like, I'll never walk again. Like, <laughs> Amazon is making it to where, like, I didn't even have to do anything anymore. Um, I just have things brought here. Um, but I will say on the flip side of that, Brittany, like next year when King Kong vs. Godzilla comes out, right? Like no matter how big I think my TV is, how great I think my sound is, that's never something I want to experience at home. Um, only because it's just I can't get a TV big enough to kind of truly feel, um, to feel that. Like I need something huge. Um, that supports something monumental like King Kong taking on Godzilla. Like, I, when I just saw Godzilla with Joel, um, we both left the theater going, hearing how loud it was, hearing how authentic the roar of Godzilla was. Like, we would have hated it if we missed, on, if we missed out on seeing that in theaters. Um, and then I, I can speak for Kanan. Kanan would, would be devastated. You guys know how much he loves 4D. Um, so if they closed theaters and didn't have 40, Canaan would lose his mind. Um, but these are all experiences, and this is something that watching it at home can't replicate. But if it, if you don't enjoy your experience in the theater, it's not something you're looking to, to duplicate. So I could understand that, but I think there's very few movies that you just it, – it won't feel right if you experience it at home and not in the theater. Like, forget the people. Just the essence of the theater, the, the huge screen, IMAX. Um, I know a lot of people like Dolby Sound, stuff like that. It just, it, it's 
it's a vibe. You know what I'm saying? I think people um, will see it as a luxury. It's kind of like going to amusement parks. You know, you go for the experience, or if you go to museums, you go to the experience. And it's like, it's like for me, I feel like I'll enjoy it just fine. Now, if I, I do want to go out with friends and be like, oh, what do you want to do? There's nothing to do. Let's go to a movie. You know, that's always fun. But I think people will reach a point where if they want a little bit extra, kind of like Hulu. You can have Hulu for cheaper, but you have ads. Or you can pay a little bit more and have no ads. I think I think people will hit a moment where either way is fine, but where they're feeling a little, like, spendy. You know, like, you know what? I want that extra experience. I want the bells and whistles. I want to be able to feel the whole movie around me, kind of like Godzilla. I do want to say one thing we have to be cautious about is if this does start to happen, the smartest thing for them to do, and it's not going to be favorable on on our wallets, but the smartest thing for them to do is to obviously, like, let's say Disney Plus is, like, it starts off at six ninety nine. I think that was the original price they were starting off at, right? So you're paying six ninety nine. You get all the the new shows, the old shows, old movies. Um, but like, if you wanted to watch Doctor Strange in, into the multiverse or whatever that's called, if you want to watch that at home, they're probably gonna charge you like thirty, forty bucks to reserve your copy. Um, and a lot of people are gonna go, I'm kind of looking at that sixteen dollar movie ticket a lot better because to me. Streams are very deceiving. That's why I didn't I didn't believe Netflix when it gave that that huge stat of, of Stranger Things because a stream you can't disprove. Like I can't say, well, you're lying. Like we could do for a box office, right? Because like that is you could visibly see that. You can't see the stream revenue um, from from Netflix. So you just kind of have to take their word. Like if they tell you, oh. It was a huge smash. Like, okay, like I, I can't disprove that. Um, so if you're if you're Disney and you're trying to find a way for streams to equate to box office, you're going to have to charge it separately than you do your streaming service, only because it just it, it won't it won't balance out. It won't because if you're telling everyone they can pay six ninety nine and they get brand new movie releases. The world will just say, "I'll never see another movie in the theater again." I just stay home for six ninety nine. Are you serious? So to me, we just have to be aware of that. Like as much as it sounds great, like oh yeah, watch Avengers Endgame at home. They're going to charge you ridiculously. So they start to figure out a way to to kind of balance it to kind of equate stream revenue to a box office. Um, so I mean, th- that's just something we have to be aware of, but. I, Brittany, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I mean, I don't often see movies in the movie theater um, that aren't obviously of our genre of superhero stuff. Um, so, I mean, Hobbs and Shaw would have been more than okay with watching at home. Um, so I, I'm completely with you in the idea of comfort. Um, but, see, I, I wanted to ask you, kind of switch it up a little bit. Um, you were talking before about if they revive The Defenders how you'd be okay with that. Um, my question to you is, if they go over to Hulu, right, and it's an all-new mm-hmm. team, not new team of characters, just a new team of producers, writers, showrunners, 
Um, would you have the same faith in it? And the reason I'm asking that is is because I could see a, a, a possibility of Chael maybe not coming back. Um, Daredevil has switched its showrunners before. Iron Fist has switched its showrunners. So has Jessica Jones. Luke Cage is the only one that had one showrunner throughout its, its entire run, which is only two seasons. But And um, The Punisher. And The Punisher. Sorry, I apologize. And The Punisher. I keep forgetting <laughs> that's the show. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> would you have as much um, faith in it if that were the case, that the uh, original showrunners or the very last showrunners of the last seasons we just saw of all of the shows did not return. And it was all new um, casting. Not cast, sorry. All new creative team. That's what I'm trying to say. It would vary from show to show, honestly. Because as you said, uh, Daredevil has changed its showrunners, even though I was very happy with what uh, season three showrunner did. So good stuff to not have him back especially since I know he had plans for a fourth season. Um, The Punisher, I would be a little skeptical because I just feel like that showrunner knew what he was doing. He had his background in the Hannibal series, and I really just felt like he kind of got it, and I would be worried that another showrunner would just kind of look to make things like that uh, just – blood and guts for the sake of violence sake, you know? Um, but, you know, Iron Fist, I was there, I wouldn't care. I liked what the showrunner for the second season did. He really revamped that series, and I, I think that even if you are not a fan of Iron Fist, you can sit there and at least admit that the second season was way better than the first season. Um, again, wouldn't mind with Jessica Jones. Luke Cage... You know, I'm not going to say anything because I know that Chao is a friend of uh, Geek Vibes, and I certainly don't want you to freak out over there. But, you know, I guess I wouldn't mind that either um, if they uh, decide to change a showrunner for Luke Cage. Um, so it, it would really just vary from show to show. Um, it, it would be almost nice if they brought back the Defenders universe but kept some and didn't keep others. Like, you know, I love Jessica Jones too, but I know that Kristen Ritter kind of voiced that she was done playing the character. So I wouldn't necessarily mind if we say got um, you know, a different character to kind of replace her and yada yada yada. To me, the main ones you gotta bring back are Daredevil and the Punisher. As long as you bring them back, I am perfectly perfectly fine. And Luke Cage just because they and they ended that so freaking open-ended that it's criminal that we never got a third season for that. See, I'm on the opposite. Um, I'm very much so, if you bring one back, bring them all back. Um, there's no reason not to. Um, well, they, and, wouldn't, and I would, they wouldn't be able to bring, already they wouldn't be able to bring back Jessica Jones unless in a few years, Kristen Ritter has a complete change of heart, or they decide to completely recast that character. You already gonna, know that you're not I'm getting gonna there. You, I'm going to tell you this, Tia. I'm going to tell you this. Chris Evans, maybe around Age of Ultron, I believe it was around Age of Ultron, I think, or might have been a little after that, um, was very much looking forward to not returning as, as Captain America. 
Then you hear all of a sudden he's returning. Uh, Downey Jr.'s returning. Hemsworth's returning. Disney money speaks a lot differently. Um, and I can almost <laughs> guarantee you. Because, um, see, this is, this, is how, this is what Hollywood does. And, and I kind of like it, and it's a little cutthroat. But we've seen it more recently with Warner Brothers um, to where they told Ben, like, hey, man, like, you do Batman still, we'll let you direct more of your movies under under our studio. And Ben was kind of like, ah, like, do I want to stay and be able to do that, or do I want to just kind of go? Um, and you saw it throughout the time of BVS, Suicide Squad, Justice League. Um, he's done his own movies, whether he's just starred in it or directed in it. Um, and it's kind of like a behind-the-scenes kind of handshake deal. We know Kristen Ritter really enjoyed directing, um, I think it was just an episode or maybe two episodes, of Jessica Jones. So I could see a, a scenario where Disney was like, well, how would you like to, you know, uh, direct a few? Uh, maybe maybe of different of the different Defender shows. How would you like to direct an episode of Iron Fist um, or, or something like that? And I, I think you could really sell her on the idea that, and come on, it's it, Disney. Like they're gonna, if they really truly want her back, um, they would offer the money to where she would kind of go, yeah, I'm not doing anything else. I, I'll I'll come back. Um, I just don't see a, uh, you know, a world to where everyone else comes back and she's still like, nah, I don't want to do it anymore. Um, I, I think she would be on board with it. Um, I didn't even hear that you gave me news to you. I didn't even hear that she was done with the character. Um, I essentially just believed everyone kind of was done with their character. <laughs> they figured they weren't coming back. Um, well, but if they did, God, I'm sorry. There were, there were interviews where they asked Kristen Ritter, like, you know, yes, obviously all these shows got canceled, but if they were brought back in another capacity somewhere else, would you return? And she essentially said no in so many words that she felt that she wrapped up the character, that she did what she had to do. She did what she had to do throughout the years, that she brought everything to the table, and that was it. She told her story. So from what I read, um, it sounded pretty convincing. But, you know, as you said, um, and we mentioned in previous shows, Gwyneth Paltrow seems done with uh, Marvel. Natalie Portman seems done with Marvel. And guess what? Both of them are back. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, it's possible. Money talks. Money definitely talks. And Gwen Paltrow, albeit she keeps forgetting she was in these movies, definitely oh didn't gosh, forget the ridiculous. check that she got. Yeah, she definitely <laughs> didn't forget the check that she was being given. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, I kind of want you to bring everything back. Um, but I can almost guarantee that if – they can if they stay with doing Ghost Rider on Hulu, they might be looking to build more of a darker universe on Hulu, and maybe mm-hmm. gradually down the line bring back in these characters. And um, you can I, bring I, I, back the Punisher and Daredevil. I'm fine with that. Again, the two MVPs <laughs> of the Defenders universe, and yes, I count the Punisher in that because he was a spinoff of Daredevil. All right, they're the MVPs. You bring them back. I'm fine. I'm fine. I will take the others as a loss. I mean, no one really is going to mourn Iron Fist anyway. The only thing I mourn about Iron Fist is no more Tom Pelfrey as Ward Meacham. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Wow, that is really mean. I, I want Iron Fist <laughs> and Luke Cage back because, like you said before, they're the only ones that didn't get uh, a ride off into the sunset. And I will never, let me make this very clear, Geek Vibes Nation, I will never be on board with not getting more Iron Fist because until we see him get the mask, at least the mask, I will never be content with not seeing Iron Fist again. I okay, need the so mask. You, I get it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Would you be content having Iron Fist back, but Finn Jones not playing him? Like no, recasting. No. I mean, the only way I'd be okay with that is two things. One, if Iron Fist was going to be in Shang-Chi, um, so you obviously had to recast them because you're probably not continuing that world. Or if Finn is like, I don't want to come back. Like, those are the only two scenarios I'd be okay with it. Um, but obviously, I have no control in the situation. But, um, I mean, maybe the, a new direction uh, or a new team might actually give him his mask and costume. Like, he legit is the only character in all of the uh, Netflix MCU world that has never had a, a comic accurate anything. Like, anything. Like, it was a shock that they gave him both hands that lit up at the end of um, season one. I mean, season two, I'm sorry. So, I mean, to me, it's like, no. Luke Cage has had the yellow shirt. That's iconic. Um, Daredevil is, is horrible. I think that costume was. It's had his costume. The only And Jessica Jones, like, that get-up is what she wears in the comics. So the only person who hasn't had it, Iron Fist, needs to be redeemed. I will never get off, off board of that. Um, but Dom, I want to hear from you. I haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, Tia, Tia messaging me is, is always hilarious. I, I, I love you, Tia. Uh, um, what was I going? Oh, Dom. Sorry. I wanted to ask you also twofold. One, uh, I wanted you to kind of pick up if, if anything you wanted to mention about me and Tia kind of talking Marvel's, uh, Netflix world and, and how you'd be okay if we got a completely different direction. And I do want to know your opinion because you also do enjoy movies and stuff also. So, actually, let's start with this. Um, would you be okay with the future kind of leaning more towards home releases and less uh, movie theater releases? Um, would you be okay with that? And I do really want to know um, how often you watch films in theaters as opposed to just popcorn flicks or superhero movies. Well, um, I have always been a huge uh, movie watcher, uh, and I was, when I was younger, I was actually the opposite of how I am now. I would uh, actually go to the theaters to watch the deeper films, and then um, my me and my parents had, like, a big thing of, like, renting movies, so we would wait to rent something like a superhero movie, we would save that for the house because we knew that it was going to be like a, a, a fun experience. Um, so, you know, something like a um, um, Little Miss Sunshine, you know, that was something that I was going to go see in a the theater versus renting it um, because I wanted to so – for, for me, I, something this deep, I want to see it in a theater just because I feel like the – you do get a, like, just like now seeing a, an, an Avengers movie, you get, like, a deeper experience with something like that. And when you watch a deep movie, you usually have some kind of questions. And, you know, if you're at the house, 
and you're all confused. Who else do you have to ask? You don't have anybody. Um, and especially since, um, you know, I think when Logan came out, that's when I first started uh, going to the movies consistently by myself. And it's a lot easier for me now because I can kind of see what I want instead of trying to collectively decide with the group. And because if you go with a group, you're going to go see the popcorn flicks. Everybody wants to see the big one because everybody's going to be pretty satisfied with it. And now I can go see, you know, all the, the one-offs. Um, and, and I think a big problem is people don't know how to watch movies anymore. I think the movie studios got used to giving everybody exactly what they want. All they want explosions and they want robots and we'll give them explosions and robots instead of, because I think as humans and especially nowadays, people aren't, don't really know exactly what they want. So the theaters could easily have a trailer with explosions and give you something else that's good, that's not exactly that, and then you come out the theater liking that movie um, because it's done well, but they're playing, you know, it's safe and, you know, just making a blockbuster-type movie. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I... I'm not really a fan of you know watching the majority of mine at the house. I like going to the theater. Um, I because I'm I'm in the house too much already, so I want to get out and go somewhere to watch with you know people who want to see the same film. Um, so I mean I know that it's inevitable uh, because everything's going to brick and mortar is disappearing and everything is about convenience. So I know eventually it is going to. Uh, we're going to be seeing less and less theaters eventually, um, but I I do like to go. I enjoy it a lot, uh, and yeah, I don't I don't know uh, I don't know what is going to happen. I, you know, one of my favorite movies is Idiocracy, and that's how I kind of feel we're going, which is why the movies are whether or not they're visually good or not or you know, it's easier to for them to have a simpler script and then everything is so big that you like, oh, my God, this movie is so good. But with, you know, everything kind of being dumbed down in, in every aspect of life, the, the movies possibly aren't as good as you think they are, which is why I think us doing reviews is pivotal because it could be – a movie that they saw a trailer for that they're like, oh, I probably won't see it. And then they read the review and like, oh, it's actually worth something. So maybe I should go see this. Um, because like I just wrote a review today for Bennett's War. When I first saw the, um, the trailer, I was not sold completely. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to be – something I, I'd want to sit through, but after watching the movie, it ended up, they, they, they sold me or they tried to sell, you know, military guns and motocross, and it ended up being somewhat of what the trailer was, but a lot better than, than I expected, so I feel like that's what they have to do. They're going to have to, if they like you said, marketing, they can draw people in with explosions and powers, but then you have to, I, I need substance 
because after a while, if you if the last two movies all I saw was superhero movies, I feel like whether or not they were good or not, I'm gonna feel like I'm missing something, and that's usually the substance. It's kind of like if you listen to, you know, uh, um, if you listen to Six Nine all the time, you're gonna need some J Cole after a while because you need that substance. <laughs> substance usually lasts. Um, but and then on onto the six nine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but onto like uh, to the Marvel shows on Netflix. Um, no, definitely bring them back. I mean, uh, I, that was the only reason initially I even got Netflix. I didn't I didn't use it before, and once I saw that there was going to be Marvel shows, that's why I signed up. And then of course saw other things I wanted to watch, but. Yeah, I mean that's a, I think that's a big reason why a lot of people got Netflix. You didn't want to miss out on what everybody was talking about, and like those shows, they had the substance, they had everything that you would expect from a Marvel movie. But since it was a series, you got the substance as well, which is why they were so good. So yeah, if they if they want to bring them back, I'm all for it. Yeah, I I just kind of feel like if you, I think we are overrating <laughs> um, Disney's true interest in in bringing any of these shows back. Um, I think Disney is paying attention to the fact that Iron Fist didn't do well ratings-wise. Jessica Jones in its second season struggled a bit. I think it made up for it in its third season. Um, Luke Cage's first season, I think, did really well. Um, it's second season, I think, also did well. So, I mean, it, it's like a hit and miss, hit and miss. Um, so, I mean, I don't think Disney views it as important as we do. And I think that's why it'll probably be a really long time. That's why I said, and Joel disagreed with me, it's like, make them into movies. Just make them into movies. Like, that's what everyone wants. I want in the next Spider-Man Aunt May to tell Peter she hired him a lawyer and Matthew Murdoch walk, walks in the room. Now, even if it's not Charlie Cox, I, I don't care. Like, I would love that. Like, that I is, care. No, <laughs> I, I tell you this. I, I tell you this. You say you care, Tia, but when's the last time Marvel, like the MCU has casted somebody, somebody big, um, like a, a big character, and you didn't like it? Um, That's a lot of ums. <laughs> so my point being, my point being, yeah, I, I have full faith. I didn't know Good. those characters beforehand. I really didn't. I didn't know any really of those characters beforehand. I know Charlie Cox as Daredevil. I mean, I, I look at it to where I'm kind of like, I just trust their track record. Um, like, I, I don't know this guy. First of all, I don't even know the character Shang-Chi. Um, all that was new to me. Um, so then you casting him, I was just kind of like, I wouldn't have cared who you cast because I don't know the character, um, but I trust Marvel, and I trust the idea that they casted somebody that they think is really going to do great things for the character. So if you recast Charlie Cox, I would have absolutely no objections about it because, one, that means you're actually doing something with Daredevil, and I'll take that also. I'll take, uh, I'll take you actually continuing the character rather than you wait, you know, putting the show in limbo to see if you actually want to pick it up again for Charlie to come back. Give me a movie, different um, different actor, I'll take that. I can 100% live with that. 
Um, but to me, it's kind of like we're getting to these peak superhero moments. Um, and it's only but so long you can go without just revisiting them at some point. So to me, I would love it if Aunt May hired Murdoch to represent Peter. Like, that would be – we would all flip out, um, you know, if, if that were the case. Like, you just see Matt Murdoch walking to the – you know, walking to Peter's house, and you're like, oh, my God, Daredevil exists with, with, with Spider-Man. We could even have them taking on Kingpin together. Like, it sets up so many great um, stories that you could play with. So to me, I'm always game for that. I'd prefer you to do it. Put them in movies. Just axe the shows. Put them in movies. Um, you can even talk John Bernthal into being Punisher. Um, maybe even having Punisher team up with, with Blade and Ghost Rider down the line or something like that. Like, there's so much you can do to play around with. I'm really jealous that Kevin Feige gets to, like, just sit in a room and get paid to put together these great ideas. Like, it's, I, I need that job. Um, but if we... We covered a lot of ground. I do want to ask this question. I want to go around and ask this question. Pal, I want to start with you. What is one franchise, One, because you say you're more movies than, than TV, one movie franchise that is purely untouchable? Like you don't want a reboot, you don't want a revival, you don't want a continuation, nothing. Wherever it stops, that's where you want it to stop. What is one movie franchise that you say is just untouchable? Yeah, the thing is, it's like, I don't really have an answer because I feel like any movie franchise, I would say it's already been done. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me think. I, oh gosh. Can I, actually, can I give a TV show example? Yeah. Because, like, the thing is, um, it's already being redone by Netflix. Uh, but I'm a little more optimistic about it, and so I'm willing to give it a shot. But, like, for me, when I think of, like, the perfect TV show that I absolutely adored and it was perfect from beginning to end, I have to say it was Avatar The Last Airbender. And when that movie came out, I don't know how long ago it was now, but when um, they decided to, uh, you know, make it into a live-action movie, and it ended up being the garbage that it was. I was so disappointed. I was like, no, now you can't touch this TV show. Leave it alone. Like, I want to just you go back to this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I I don't disagree with you at all. Like, if I saw in Night Shyamalan, I would have fist-fought him um, mm-hmm. about that movie. Like, I would have easily told him, like, yo, you got to put your hands up. Like, you can't just disrespect uh, you know, last airbender like that and think you can get away with it. Like, we're fist fighting. Yeah. Um, it so that was would very be my answer. <laughs> yeah, and you know what's weird about that movie? Like, I really liked the kid that played Aang. I thought the kid was really yeah. good. I just thought everything mm-hmm. else about the movie was pure garbage. Oh, Absolutely. I hate, oh, I hate that man. <laughs> um, all right, <laughs> moving down the line. Brittany, uh, really quickly, what's one franchise movie or TV show that's untouchable to you? I was going to say, it's more recent, so hopefully it won't be remade because it's still ongoing. But I feel like, especially the first season, I wouldn't want to see Westworld, like, revised because I love Anthony Hopkins in the beginning. I love the setup of it, the feel of it. I think it would be a little weird to try to be like, yeah, let's restart it because you even have, like, flashbacks in it. I don't feel like there's any room to really, like, 
try to rework it, try to do something different. I think they should just keep it going the way that they got and not remake it in the future. Yeah, fair enough. I heard nothing but great things about that show. I got to start watching it myself, but um, yeah, I mean, that cast is phenomenal. I don't think you really do any better. Um, yeah. Dom, uh, what is untouchable to you, really quickly? Uh, I think I'm going to have to go with um, the Back to the Future franchise because I know since it's like time travel, I'm sure somebody's itching to play with it with all the things of, that have gone on over the past, you know, since we've been born. But I just, they don't need to touch it. Leave it alone. It's perfect as it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Tia, what's, uh, what's untouchable? Godfather, keep your filthy hands away from it, Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, I'm completely with you. I'm completely with you. I'm right there with you, Tia. Don't touch my Godfather. It's the only franchise that the first movie was an instant classic, but somehow the second one blows that first one out of the water. It's it's such a rarity. It's such a rarity. And then the third one is like, you don't really have to see it. But, like, all three of those movies are pretty – are solid. Um, but those first two are instant classics. The third one, maybe shouldn't have made that movie. Um, mine originally was Home Alone, but, you know, where we live in. Um, there you go. So, so I'm going to go Bad Boys. Don't ever redo that. Like, I, I don't want to see down the line you take Michael B. and Lakia Stanfield. Like, no, don't don't ever redo that. Actually, no, I kind of like that. No, forget it. Don't ever touch Godfather. Uh, don't ever touch Godfather. Uh, Tia, pal, Brittany, Dom, I want to thank you guys for joining me for another episode of Geeks Against the Grain. We will see you guys same time, same place next week. Make sure you stay tuned for all of our upcoming podcasts coming out um, this weekend and into the next week. We'll see you guys same time, same place next week. Peace. Peace. Adios. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.